Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Chigoltau from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Washington, D.C. is Jen Hoare. Jen is Managing Director at Forward Global. And today we're going to be talking about compliance due diligence and taking a human-based approach to it. First, Jen, thanks for taking time out of your day to talk to us. Thanks, Adam. I'm looking forward to talking with you and your listeners. Well, I'm looking forward to it too, because investigations due diligence is always a complicated issue. And as I said in the intro, you know, when it comes to compliance due diligence, you're a real big fan of human-based approaches rather than just relying on the ever more popular desktop approach. Uh, why? In fact, human beings have a lot of information that you can't find on the internet. And talking to knowledgeable human sources about a company, an executive, a combination of the two, a specific topic, um, augments and nuances what you can learn beyond relying upon open source uh, public records, for example. Um, and in a compliance context, of course, due diligence is an important dimension of vetting those with whom you are transacting or partnering and talking to human beings who have worked with or invested in or otherwise partnered with the parties that you're thinking of working with will flesh out what is it like to work with them and are there any concerns? So I definitely don't want to convey that the, the human intelligence aspect of due diligence work or investigations ever eclipses open source research. It's certainly an important piece of tradecraft. The two should work in concert. I, as a former journalist and now corporate investigator that focuses on the human intelligence side of things, I'm partial to it just because that's been the tradecraft that I've uh, developed an expertise and passion for. Well, and you know, it's one of those things, as I'm sure you know, that the numbers are the numbers, but it's only when you start talking to people, you start understanding that, well, maybe the numbers really aren't the numbers or they got there the wrong way. So when you're doing due diligence uh, for an organization, who should you be talking to there? I find that those who have previously worked with individuals that you're considering working with, for example, are gold mines of insight and information about the uh, reputation, track record, integrity of the individuals in question. Um, of course, there are a miscellany of other types of categories of, of sources that you could engage to learn more about a company. It could be prior investors or partners or customers. Sometimes it can be really fruitful if appropriate and not too sensitive to talk to industry experts or uh, journalists, including trade publication reporters who follow an industry or sector and would be knowledgeable about salient players in that space. And then you can flesh out or, or get a more comprehensive view of a company and its management team from those angles of, of those who have dealt with that company and that management team in different capacities. And as you said, the people who are former you know, are, are a nice advantage because they don't have the uh, ties immediately and may be able to speak freer. So what are some of the questions that you should be asking? Well, I do want to add something to what you just said, which is that it's also not appropriate to talk to current 
um, employees of a company, let's say, that you're researching. That's That compromises them. Apart from whether or not they're more free, um, they are employed by that company and um, clearly have a, a particular bias, but also that's, I consider that an off limits topic, um, category of source. Um, but like you point out, uh, it's also valuable to talk to people who are a little more unfettered in what they can share. Um, in terms of the types of things to talk about, I like to take, a, as you would imagine, a very journalistic approach, which is very open-ended and not asking binary or yes or no questions, of course. It's not an interrogation, it's a conversation. So I like to give the those that I'm interviewing the opportunity to talk about whatever they think is important. So I might start off by saying, tell me about your experience working with this individual or working at this company. How was it? Tell me what you did there. Even if I know exactly what their role is, I want to hear it from their perspective. It's just like in personal conversations. You may have information about somebody, but you want to hear from your interlocutor how they want to present um, whatever is going on in their lives. Um, I, I think it's important to definitely give an opportunity for a person to share the positive things that they've um, experienced about a company or working with somebody, but then give them an opportunity. What could have been better? I often say that um, I'm here to get a comprehensive view that includes good, bad, and neutral about whatever your experience was. I am not presuming there's anything wrong, but um, this also is not a box checking exercise where I'm going to just ask super, superficial things and be satisfied. And then the only other thing I would add, and I think this is really valuable for whatever profession any of your listeners has, is to be open to what people are going to say and to listen to what they've shared to then ask follow-ups rather than to have a rote formulaic list of questions that you're going to address with somebody that gets in the way of the fluidity of, of conversation. And if somebody tells you something really blockbuster, really exciting, and could lead to a, a, a brand new line of conversation, to follow up on that and, and ask additional questions and ask for clarification. So are there any subtexts that you should be listening to and, and you know, to use a poker term, tells that no. you should be alert to that could be signs of a problem? I don't, I don't fashion myself as a deception detection expert, um, but to the point of your, of your, or the sentiment um, that I completely understand of your question, I think, I think I, I pay attention when somebody, and usually I'm, I'm talking to people I don't know, and I'm, I'm talking to them about their thoughts, perspectives, experiences at a at a job they had or working with an executive. Um, you know, they are not required to talk to me. And I think when somebody, let's say, overshares to a point where um, I think, you know, what, what is their motivation here? And the other thing certainly is I pay attention when, when somebody, somebody is overly negative, seems like they have an ax to grind. I'm, I'm not necessarily, um, discrediting them, but I would note that as a bias that would affect how I would appraise the, the quality of their insights. And, and that's a good point. It's important always to keep track of what the people's biases are. Now, are, are there any clues that are reassuring to be on the alert for? I think the clues that provide reassurance are emerge over the course of several conversations. So I wouldn't necessarily take a com uh, an interview I did on its own and say, oh, I'm really sh reassured that 
um, this person said the CEO was great because that's just one person's perspective. I, I like to say that when I do a collection of interviews, there are a series of impressions from human beings, which are unfortunately fallible and, and narratives and, and um, themes emerge from the collection of conversations. So I don't necessarily seek or find reassurance in one conversation, but I think, let's say if I talk to eight people and independently eight people raise uh, the same kind of sentiment about a CEO they worked with, then I start to get a sense of, okay, here's what's really happening here. This, this person has this particular reputation. Um, but as, as you just use the word reassurance, um, I'm also in my, my job, in my profession, I'm never looking for reassurance because I, I don't have a thesis or a, a hypothesis to prove because I'm an independent intelligence um, collector and professional. So I'm not looking to prove a thesis. I'm looking to figure out what the truth is and where the facts are as a result of the collection of intelligence from knowledgeable sources. And then of course, cross-referencing that with my very capable colleagues who do open source research and corroborating or refuting what we've seen on both sides from these two forms of intelligence collection. Well, and your point there about not having a hypothesis is a good one. And I think it's one that's consistent across any kind of compliance investigation. The investigator is there to find out what happened and you shouldn't right. go in believing it did or didn't or, or, or whatever. Well, Jen, thank you so much for sharing these insights with us today. My pleasure. Our, our pleasure too. And I wanna thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletop from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.